Chapter Five of Put Thy Love in Thy Grace by Francis J. Finn, S.J. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. Chapter Five. It was the night of the raffle. On that occasion, the library hall of the young lady's sodality was almost uncomfortably crowded. The workers in the bazaar, and their number was legion, were all present, and so were their friends and their friends friends to about the fourth degree. The librarian, smiling and affable, was showing, not without pride, the treasures of the library to several portly gentlemen, one of whom, as his features indicated, was of Jewish blood. A whisper went round among the workers that he was as rich as Caresus. That's the way it started, but, by the time it had passed from one mouth to fifty, it was crept into, he's as rich as crazy whereupon the uninitiated gazed on him fixedly, many wondering whether he was as harmless as he appeared to be. Did the librarian know he was crazy? they asked themselves. Apparently she did not, for her easy air of smiling unconcern, and her light laugh, rich in cheerfulness, evinced that she was utterly without fear. He doesn't look crazy, Regina was saying to the secretary of the sodality. Crazy? I should think not, returned the official. He's a very good, sensible man, and has been one of the best friends of our bazaar, even if he is a Jew. By the way, do you know that you and he have done more to bring in money on the diamond ring than any two people in the city? Him and me? cried Regina, the color rushing to her pale cheeks. Why, I didn't do anything to speak of. I just got three books filled. Yes, but all the same, your name is down for more chances than his, and he paid down cash for fifty in my presence besides other chances I've heard he's taken. At this moment the prefect of the stality, accompanied by the two assistants, came over to where Regina was seated. "'Miss O'Connell,' said the prefect, "'in the name of our sodality and the orphans, we wish to thank you for the work you have done in the interests of our raffle. If there were a dozen more like you in our sodality, I think we should practically own the town.' "'Thank you, Miss Dalton,' said Regina, rising in some confusion, her face, which had grown pale and wan since we last saw her, flushed violently. "'And I do hope,' added the first assistant kindly, "'that you may win it.' "'And so do I,' said the second assistant, her eyes beaming genially through her glasses. "'I'm sorry I can't agree with you,' said the librarian, as she pushed her way up to the group, along with the man who was rich as crazy. "'Here's my candidate for the ring. He wants it, and, if he wins it, he intends to present us with fifty dollars for our library. "'Oh, dear,' cried Regina. "'If that's the case, I—I—almost hope he'll win.' "'Let me suggest an amendment,' said the prefect. "'Mr. Fairweather, I propose that, in case you win or Miss Regina O'Connell, you give the fifty dollars.' "'You see, Mr. Fairweather, Regina has worked harder for that ring than any one.' and in the number of chances taken, she is your rival. Mr. Fairweather looked at Regina kindly and benevolently. He took in much of her story at a glance. Had she been the finest lady in the land, he could not have been more courteous. It is indeed a pleasure, he said, bowing, to meet a rival in such a cause. They are not the kind I usually meet, I am sorry to say. Miss Dalton, he went on, I'm obliged to you for the suggestion. I shall be delighted to give your library fifty dollars if I win, sixty dollars if Miss O'Connell be the lucky one. Oh, my goodness, cried the librarian. I do hope things will go as they ought to. 
Mr. Fairweather, you are so good and kind that I will add another suggestion. In case neither of you win, we may count upon twenty-five dollars anyhow. May we not? What do you say to that, Miss Dalton? said Mr. Fairweather, smiling benevolently. It's a brilliant suggestion. The librarian laughed lightly and glided away. She knew that the matter was settled. Somewhat to Regina's dismay, the old gentleman seated himself beside her. Is he crazy? she asked herself. But even if he were not, it would be an ordeal to make talk with a man whose daily income exceeded her entire earnings of a year. Presently, nevertheless, she found herself talking easily, frankly, about her sister and all the circumstances of her lovely death. Next, she was listening intently to Mr. Fairweather, who, despite a slight German accent, spoke with a noble impressiveness. He was conversing about death, and saying how much he wondered at the quiet, calm way in which good Catholics await the final summons. Had he been a priest, his sentiments would have been perfectly appropriate. Just then a hale old gentleman clapped his hands for silence. He was standing on a raised platform. "'Ah, that's Mr. Dalton,' whispered Mr. Fairweather to Regina. "'What? The father of Miss Dalton?' "'Yes, and one of the finest men in town. If all your rich Catholics were like him, you wouldn't need bazaars.' "'Ladies and gentlemen,' Mr. Dalton was saying, "'I have the honor to announce to you that we are now going to find out to whom the diamond ring belongs.' We are going to go about it in this way. In this bag, here Mr. Dalton gravely held up a white sack, upon whose chaste surface there shone out in blue characters, XXX, finest brand. In this bag are all the numbers taken by the various chance takers. Out of this bag the lucky number will be taken. The first, second, and third numbers will not count. No, the thirteenth number taken out will be the lucky one. Now we want a little boy, the littler the better to take out the numbers, and one man to read them out, and another man to verify his reading. Mr. Fairweather, couldn't you? Excuse me if you please, Mr. Dalton, interrupted Mr. Fairweather, but I hope to win that ring myself. Get someone who isn't quite so interested. A small boy and two men were presently secured. Mr. Dalton shook the sack energetically, then opening its mouth slightly, bade the urchin thrust in his hand, and bring forth one slip of paper. The boy obeyed and gave the slip to the announcer. Seventeen twenty-eight, he called. Seventeen twenty-eight, cried the verifier. Again the bag was shaken. Nineteen eleven, twenty-three eighty-four, forty-eight twenty-three, ninety eighty-nine, four o two, thirty-one twelve, twenty-one, eleven eighteen, twenty-one twenty-four, thirty-five sixty, eight thirty-two. "'Now, ladies and gentlemen,' cried Mr. Dalton in a loud voice, though he might have spoken in a whisper, and been heard, so tense was the silence. "'The next number is the winning number. May the one who gets it deserve it.' Whereupon he began to shake the bag with comical violence. The laughing that followed suddenly changed to a groan, as the mouth of the sack slipped in his hand, and a number of tickets flew through the air and fell scattering upon the floor." The crowd moved back, and the workers were upon their knees at once, recovering the precious slips. "'Say,' whispered the librarian into the ear of the kneeling prefect, "'while you're down there, say a little prayer that Regina O'Connell may win. Isn't she a dear little thing?' "'We've all been praying for her,' answered the prefect. Quickly the slips were recovered, quickly were they returned into the sack, 
and violently but with much more care did mr dalton shake it for the last time the boy took out a slip and handed it to the announcers number three hundred and six ah came involuntarily from the mouth of miss dalton number three hundred and six announced mr dalton finding the corresponding stump in a book handed him miss regina o'connell at this there was tremendous applause it's one of the ten chances that father mcnichols took for her whispered the prefect to the librarian at the mention of her name regina arose and stood in some embarrassment whereupon mr fairweather with knightly courtesy escorted her to the foot of the platform and taking the ring from mr dalton handed it to the girl miss o'connell he said i've been beaten before but this is one of the few times in my life that i am glad to be worsted amid another burst of applause he conducted regina back to her place where she was forced to shake hands with and receive the congratulations of nearly all in attendance regina was very happy then why who can tell she had set her heart on the ring it had fascinated her desire of it had grown with each day and now it was her very own and then too the kind words the smiles the sympathetic looks of all these people fell like balm upon her innocent heart for a time the girl was in heaven she slipped the ring upon her finger and turned it this way and that watching its changing splendors with all the delight of a child the poor girl was enjoying her first toy she was aroused by the voice of mr fairweather miss o'connell he was saying in case you should ever wish to part with that ring oh dear no interrupted regina never mr fairweather smiled very good miss o'connell but in case you should call on me at any time i am willing or rather i should be glad to pay you its market value which is i believe sixty-five dollars here is my card with my residence address thank you sir you are very good but i don't think that i should care to sell my beautiful ring for even a hundred dollars i am very very glad you like it so much my dear young lady said the old gentleman and indeed his kindly face gave earnest that his feelings were at one with his words regina was about to acknowledge his gracious speech when mr dalton again clapped his hands and called the assembly to order ladies and gentlemen he said i take great pleasure in announcing to you that in honor of this pleasant occasion an occasion for once when the right prize goes to the right person miss rosamond otis the gifted soprano whom all cincinnati delights to honor has kindly consented to sing a solo mr dalton held up his hand for silence and nevertheless the applause continued for nearly a minute miss otis a tall handsome young lady stationed herself beside the piano and accompanied by the pianist of the occasion sang may morning the audience was so delighted that an encore was imperative after a short delay miss otis sang oh believe me of all these endearing young charms oh cried regina involuntarily and putting her hand to her heart then she addressed herself to listen regina had irish blood in her veins and no person of irish blood ever yet listened unmoved to this sweet melody but to regina it appealed as perhaps it never yet appealed to any listener again she was standing beside her dying sister again she saw the dear face flush and the gentle eyes kindle under the inspiration of the poet's thought despite her endeavors she could not restrain a sob and the tears rushed to her eyes and stained her wan cheeks 
she hid her face in her handkerchief and listened with all her soul miss otis was at her best on that memorable night she sang with a pathos which went to every heart presently the weeping girl began to wonder where miss otis could have got the verses regina wore them next her heart she had shown them to no one save rose here was a mystery to be cleared with an effort she composed herself sir she said to mr fairweather aren't they beautiful words very answered the old gentleman emphatically i know who wrote them sir no doubt no doubt assented mr fairweather affably everybody with irish blood knows and loves tom moore's irish melodies and a great many with no irish blood at all myself for instance more repeated regina looking puzzled yes why what's the matter my dear young lady of course you know that tom moore wrote them as you said regina gave a gasp of pain all the color had left her face she rose nervously but what's the matter miss o'connell are you ill can't i do anything for you no no i-i must leave at once excuse me sir i wish to be alone regina slipped from the hall and once she was on the staircase landing outside she gasped and grew faint and was obliged to lean against the wall for support no tears came to her eyes her grief was beyond that the moment of disillusionment had come and a terrible almost heartbreaking moment it was her love was gone forever she had loved not tom but her own false though noble conception of that very ordinary young man but now the ideal had crumbled away and she stood face to face in her mind's eye with the real a coarse selfish untruthful weak-willed lover grief changed to rage for the first time in many a long year regina was really angry the great wave of indignant feeling which flooded her soul submerged her reason she was beside herself the weakness and the dizziness were forgotten she went down the steps quickly her eyes flashing her bosom heaving her bloodless lips set together firmly as she reached the sidewalk a figure separated from a group of young men who were apparently loafers and came beside her mr tom betterly had been awaiting her she could say nothing just then but she turned upon him a look of contempt that should have warned him but it would have taken something far more powerful than any look to have warned mr tom betterly on that occasion regina he said speaking with that difficulty in pronouncing clearly which we sometimes notice in those who have just come from the chair of a dentist regina he continued and there was a beastly light in his eye i congratulate you i heard you won diamond ring is that so he saw it on her finger ah that's right then opening his mouth he roared ca 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 it was a fearsome sound mr thomas was rejoicing after the manner of his kind when in his loose-toothed condition he had never before been quite so tipsy in regina's presence as with a mighty force of brazen mouth and iron lungs he croaked forth the third call he attempted to put his arm around her waist then his arm as it touched the girl and she drew back remained fixed as though paralyzed the blazing eyes of regina had caught and almost sobered him go she hissed go i never want to see you again you you wretch he stood there while she went on and he knew that so far as she was concerned it was all over with him forever end of chapter five